we sang day and night, night and day, let incense arise. That incense elicits various thoughts to various people, but in a biblical context, as you know, the Levitical priests would enter into the tabernacle or the temple later on when the temple was built and the incense was burnt morning and night. Morning and night. And that was one of the duties, but <clears throat> that's one of the last things that they did in their approach to God as they entered in. They went through that altar of sacrifice, the brazen altar, then the brazen laver where they washed and they entered into the first compartment getting closer to God. That the first tent or the first chamber, which was the holy place, the golden candlesticks on the left and the, gold, and the table of showbread on the right but furthermore in this first compartment was the table the altar of incense altar of incense and that is where they took incense and put it on the altar and took fire from the <clears throat> altar of sacrifice to ignite that prayer in other words our prayers our incense is to be backed up by our sacrifices made to God but interestingly, that altar of incense was right next to the veil that separated the holy place, the holiest of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, symbolizing the presence of Almighty God. And it's to illustrate to us in to the New Testament that whenever we are in prayer, as incense is a symbolic representation of prayers ascended to God, that when we are offering prayer, that's when we are closest to God. There may be a veil that we still may be separated from Him, and He seems like it's far away, but when we, when we draw near, the Bible says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He's waiting on you and me to draw near. And when we're praying and we're acknowledging Him and reaching out to Him, we're burning incense. And it's at that point that God says, I'm the closest to you. And I can get closer to you in the New Testament because I can move on the inside of you. I can renew you. I can refresh you. I can regenerate you. And I can give you strength. And I can give you everything you need. But come. Come. Hallelujah. Amen. And I, I appreciate the sensitivity of this congregation this morning. And I, I appreciate Brother Nathan Poole and his sensitivity to the Spirit. And of course, the others, the ladies, the women uh, who have come forth and, and have been so responsive to the Spirit. But I would say, men, there's been several men that's come. Brother J, I appreciate you bringing your, your, your son down and your children. Men, I want to exhort you. God has anointed you to be the priest of your home. It doesn't mean that, that you're the head of the home. Yes, you're the head of the home. It doesn't mean just authority to bark commands. It's also a position of love and sacrifice and of prayer and spiritual leadership. And man, you don't want to fail in that. You don't want to shirk that. I would to God that more men and more fathers were down here and praying with people. Hello? 
men need to stand up and stand forth. Paul said in Timothy 2.8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We need more men praying. We need more men showing children, showing their families how to worship God. We need the men to be active. We need the men to go forth in a congregation praying with people. We need you to step up to the plate because God is depending on you. Amen. For men, it's too easy just to be busy, use our hands for work because we get a lot of affirmation from our work. But God said, put that aside, men, and do that which I called you to do. You know that in the Old Testament, under the Levitical priesthood, it was only the men that went into the temple, not the women. All the priests were men. No woman could enter into the temple and offer up sacrifice. They could be on the outer court, not in the instant. They could not go into the holy holy place. It's always a man. That changed in the New Testament. For there's neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad? Now, everybody can approach him. That's another aspect of the superiority of the New Testament versus the Old. But it was for a purpose. And again, it's to, it's to, to affirm the, the leadership role of a man. And in the New Testament, that's, that's, that's affirmed. That is validated. That still stands. Men are still to be the leaders in their home. And uh, spiritual leaders in their home. By love and by example. And, of course, the spiritual priesthood. God is depending upon you. And I notice, you know, when fathers come, your children, your wife, your family will come. It's the way it is. Hallelujah. I'm glad for every man that's in this building today. God is looking to you to do more, to do more, to do more. I will that, that men pray everywhere. Men, pray everywhere. Hallelujah. We just lift your hands. I praise the Lord one more time. I thank Him for His presence, what we felt here today. If nothing else happens, it's already been worth coming to the house of God. It's already been worth entertaining His presence, making your petitions known. Hallelujah. He's a great God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God is good all the time. Amen. I'm going to get to the Word of God and uh, hopefully be briefer than usual. And I know this is the last service of the month and everybody's in house. I mean, enjoy seeing you, young and old, male, female. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus loves you, and so do I. You know, you can't be a ministry and not love people. You don't have to like them. You got to love them. I get to do both. I'm so thankful that I can like and love. Hallelujah, everybody. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 is where I'll be taking my text from today. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians, Paul writing to Christians, those who have already been born again of the water and of the Spirit. And he's writing to them and 
If you're born again, take it that he's writing to you. Personalize it. And you hath he quickened. Now, in my Bible, that's why I'm reading the King James Version. This segment, hath he quickened, is italicized. Means it isn't in the original text, but it's added to make the meaning more complete. And, you, and, and it fits because when you get to verse 5, he plainly states uh, what he's talking about. And when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. Quickened. So it's stated there, but in the front, it's added for more clarity and understanding. So chapter 2, verse 1. And you, as Christians, born-again Christians, hath he quickened, means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. When in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, it's human nature, the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Hallelujah. I'm going to stop right there, but go back to verse 1, because that's the foundational scripture I'd like to start from today. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And I'm entitling my message today, Dead Men Walking. <laughs> Dead Men Walking. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> Fall Festival. Praise God. There's a lot of zombies out there. I've got to tell you, folks. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But it can be in the house of God, too. Unfortunately, hallelujah. So we are alive physically, but dead spiritually. And that's what Paul's talking about. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Bless it, Lord. Multiply it to our understanding and our faith. Let it be strengthened. And we pray blessing and favor upon this congregation. And those that have not yet given their life and surrendered themselves to you completely. I pray, Lord, that you would touch their heart and convince them this is the best thing that could ever happen to them. Bless them, O oh Lord God, on this day. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. God bless you. you may be seated. <clears throat> Hallelujah. <clears throat> no, this last week, my wife and I were talking, and uh, I don't even know how it came up, but I tell you, yeah, yeah, it's like dead men walking. I said, whoa. I said, that'll preach. <clears throat> and this, this, immediately this scripture came in my mind. And uh, I, I really didn't know where that, this, this word came from, so I Googled it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, or you, can, you can't use a dictionary for that. You know, this is a phrase, not a word. 
But I found out that it is a label used for someone that's condemned, somebody who is on death row, someone whose days are numbered in some way or another. So dead man walking, meaning your days are numbered and, and you're coming to, to die. It's people in death row who have been convicted. And this expression came into use in the American prison system uh, early in the 1900s, uh, and it came to mean a person who's condemned to death and slated for execution. That's what death row is. You know, death row is, is, was, is a place where, where all men who have committed capital crimes, meaning a crime worthy of death, such as murder, rape, kidnapping, there are a list of capital crimes. Even the Bible says that. Now, understand, while we are pro-life, we're pro-innocent life. Hello? We're pro-innocent life. Very early on in the Old Testament, <clears throat> after the flood with Noah, when God changed the, 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 the covenant and, uh, and, and he gave this covenant to Noah and he said, for whosoever sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. That's when capital punishment was instituted uh, for capital crimes. And then later on, when human government was established in, in the next time period, next dispensation, human government was given the authority and a band-aid by God to be a punisher of the evildoer. Now, the punishment of the evildoer has to do with punishing people for their crimes that they have committed. It's up to government to judge sin as the way God defines sin especially when it comes to capital crimes, murder, rape, uh, kidnapping. Hallelujah. And the Bible says when you commit those crimes, you're worthy of death yourself. If you commit crimes by shedding blood, it's by mankind, it's human government that has the responsibility to execute you, to put fear in the people everywhere else, to stop them and restrain them, from committing more and more crime. And if we don't do that, it will only multiply. And all you have to do is look at our country when you don't punish sin. The only problem is when the government stops executing or carrying out the mandate from God, then God has to step in and punish that nation. And this is why we're on dangerous territory. We need to pray for America today more than ever before. But the point is, capital punishment, uh, it's in the word of God. Uh, yes, we're pro-life, meaning that, as, uh, as the Bible says in, uh, in Proverbs 6, 16 through 18, that, uh, that God's, uh, God hates 16, 7 is an abomination. It's a proud look, for one. It's hands that shed innocent blood. That's the big key, innocent. And you're tried. And this is, you know, incumbent. Upon, well, what if they make mistakes? Yes, they can make mistakes. But it's God who will deal with it. God expects governments to deal with sin. In fact, this is why in Romans 13, while the Bible calls to us to, to be obedient to government, as long as they don't command us to do anything contrary to his word, we are to obey if it violates our conscience and a word, then we don't obey. Don't preach the gospel anymore in that name. Oh, uh, well. Acts 4. Should we listen to man or to God who gave the command? Man has no authority to, to annul that which God commanded. 
Hallelujah. And, uh, and so uh, in Romans 13, while we, we are exhorted to pay our taxes and be submissive to government as much as they are indeed submitted to God and, and morally uh, the commands are, are, are acceptable to the word of God, uh, it also says that, that this government, this, uh, a person, a human government, does not bear or hold the sword in vain. It has to do with capital punishment, meaning that God's given them authority to execute people who do heinous capital crimes. And so now in some states, uh, they, have ab- uh, they have abolished the capital punishment and the death penalty. They made it all life sentences. You, you spend your turn, the rest of your life in jail. And uh, that's what, but uh, many states, if, if I understand, most states still have a capital punishment law. And, and, uh, and, and I know Missouri does. I think Texas does. Louisiana does. And those states where they still uh, exercise capital punishment for capital crimes, they have these, these cell blocks established. Uh, and, and only people who, are, who have been found guilty of a capital crime are housed there. And they're waiting for execution. And their cells are close to the execution chamber. Okay? And, uh, and, and so uh, when, when uh, they, for particularly in Louisiana, uh, uh, if, uh, if a man is now uh, uh, through the appeals process and he's the place where he is indeed to be executed, they let him out of his jail. And, of course, they... Uh, they uh, bring him out, and uh, there's one uh, officer, this jail guard, that comes to the front, and uh, and and then two other jail uh, guards on his sides, and two in the back. In fact, let's do that. I need five men volunteers. Five men, come on down here. Come, how do they, come on down. Five, just come on, just come on, come on. Five. I mean, when you see five down here, cease. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. We got five. Who wants to be the prisoner? Oh, Gavin. Good choice. Okay, Gavin, I want you right in the middle right there. And face that wall right there. Face that way, okay? All right? I want Brother Mike come to the front. All right? And I need, uh, let's see, two, four, five. Oh, I need, I need one more guy. Okay, Brother Jake and, and uh, Brother uh, Rob come to the sides of this man right here. Okay, right there. That's good for the side. Yeah, that's it. Two more. Excellent. Just like that. All right? So Gavin is the prisoner. He's out of jail. He's convicted, and he's sentenced to die, and the day has come. And he's let out of his jail cell, and the guard walks in front. All right, start walking, man. And the one in the front says, dead man walking. Dead man walking. Dead man walking. Dead man Amen. And they walk towards the execution chamber, and they walk past all of those cells up in front of all those men who are also sentenced to die. Thank you. Hallelujah. This is where this statement comes from, Dead Men Walking. Interestingly, there were two movies in the 1990s that were produced to illustrate this. In fact, uh, one of them was based on a, a true story. Uh, and In fact, it was written a book written by a Catholic nun, uh, Sister Helen Prigent in French. Prigent is called Prigent in France, you know. Uh, after a, a man on death row in Louisiana, it's Angola prison by the name of Matthew uh, Ponchelet, Ponchelet, Ponchelet uh, was, was waiting execution. He uh, was found guilty of, of murdering uh, two uh, young people, 
uh, a young couple, and, uh, and he raped them, and he had an accomplice, uh, but uh, he, he was found guilty. He claimed innocence, and, uh, and he reached out to this Catholic nun, Sister Helen Prejean, who worked among the poor and, and, and helping people getting housing uh, on the streets, and, uh, and she went and met with this man and uh, for six years helped him go through an appeal process uh, to, uh, to, to somehow see if his, his uh, uh, murder uh, conviction could be commuted perhaps to life imprisonment. But that altogether failed. Now, through the process, it becomes clear to the nun that, that uh, he is indeed guilty. That he may maintain his innocence, but all evidence points to the very fact that he indeed is guilty. And uh, so in the end, he's executed. And he's there uh, in the execution chamber, death by, by uh, in- injection. And uh, she's watching him die. And he's, his last moments are looking at her. Amen. And she wrote about this in a book called Dead Men Walking. And she got it from experience watching this execution take place. Uh, and interestingly, though, in the book, it's more than just about capital punishment. It's also about empathy for the families of the victim. And, 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 and in reality, if you think about it, uh, everyone hurts. Everyone is in pain when a crime like that is, is committed. Uh, it's not only the victim that hurt and went through terrible, in, immense pain, un, unimaginable pain. And it's not just the family of the, of, that, of, of, of the loved ones in that family that, that, that suffer in, in incredible amounts of grief and pain. But also, believe it or not, the person who commits the crime. You may not realize it, but the pain they inflict on others, it affects them. It forever changes them. It, it torments them. You cannot imagine what a, a capital crime being committed to somebody, how it affects them. And, and, and it affects society. So really, it causes a great deal of pain for everyone involved. And that's basically what the book is all about. And uh, it, it describes uh, the, the, the way that, that execution takes place for uh, capital crimes. And so... Uh, I showed you that illustration just to understand that uh, dead men walking is referring to a person who has now finally come to the day of his execution. Amen. But really, if you think about it, even while he's in a jail cell, he's still a dead man walking. Praise God. You and I are dead men walking in many ways. Why? Because the days are numbered. You and I have an appointment day with death. Yes, we're alive now, and, and we have spirit. The Bible says, James 2.26, you know, that, that uh, when, when the spirit is separated from the body, then the body is dead. And so we have an appointment with dead. The Bible declares that all people born since Adam and Eve have sinned against God, and we are physically alive, but... We're spiritually dead. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, that is Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. 
Now, you may not have sinned the same way that Adam and Eve had, but we were born into the sin that they committed. You know, apple trees, reproduced apples and orange trees, oranges, bananas, bananas, and sinful people, reproduced sinful people. We're born in sin and shaped in iniquity, as, as the Bible says to the, to the pen words of, of David. We're all born to die. We don't have to do anything to go to hell. All we have to do is live to ourselves, to lift our flesh and be dead to God. And continue as we have been since we were born. Because we're all sentenced to die. In other words, we all in a world full of zombies. Really, if you think about it, now, zombie, you know, uh, a zombie is, is nothing in, in the Hollywood's words and, and style is, is a dead corpse that's brought alive, by, usually by some witchcraft or by some evil demonic means. And so these mindless, unconscious bodies walking around, you know, supposedly doing the devil's bidding. And yet at the same time, it's, it, this is what's expressed in similar terms in Ephesians 2. It's not far from the truth. Now, there's no zombie that you're walking around and constantly. But we walk, the people who are living in the sin are walking around really without any awareness or consciousness of God. And so listen to the New uh, Living Translation uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 1 through 3, I'll just read the first three verses, and I think you'll find it very enlightening. Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins. You used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature and were under God's anger just like everyone else. Does it make sense? You and I were born sinners. You and I were born, amen, for execution. That wasn't by God's design. He didn't want it that way, but we chose that. In Adam, when Adam disobeyed and, and he rebelled against God. So we're inheritors not only of that earthly life, but that earthly condition of sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. That day that Adam disobeyed, he died and became a dead man walking. That's where we all come from. It's not alive physically, but dead spiritually. Isaiah 59.2 said, but your iniquities have separated you. Between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you. That he will not hear. That's what death is, you see. Spiritual death. It's separation. Really physical death is the same thing. It's separation. That's what the second death is in eternity. It's permanent eternal separation from God in hell. Death is separation. And the day that Adam and Eve sinned against God... They died spiritually and God lifted up. God separated himself from them because they rebelled against him. They committed a sin. And that's why, again, James 2.26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So it's separation. 
And that separation, that death, creates a lot of fear in people. Fear. That's one of the number one things that people fear in this world. Everyone is afraid of dying. At one point or another, sooner or later, they're afraid of dying. But God came in flesh and human form to save us and to deliver us from this fear. It's the number one fear that plagues mankind. In fact, Paul writes about this in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. He says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. In other words, children of God and Christians. Yeah, we're, 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 we're connected to each other by flesh and blood. And for the same way Jesus came in flesh, and he writes, he also himself likewise took part of the same, this human nature, speaking of Christ, that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them, talking about you and me, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear is a killer. Fear is something that holds you captive. Fear is something that keeps you awake at nights. Fear is something that Jesus came to deal with, and it's very real. Now, it's fear that keeps some people even from serving God. In fact, this is why in Revelation 21.8, it says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Fearful is the first thing is mentioned. You know, some people are too afraid to serve God. Some people are afraid to come forward and pray. Some people are too afraid to get baptized in Jesus' name even when it's a good thing. Some people are afraid to come and pray and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speak in another tongue. They say, well, I don't know what it all means. Well, you don't have to understand it all. That's why we can offer you Bible studies. We can give you knowledge and we can give you understanding and we can help you increase your faith so that you can receive all the best things that God has intended for you. And in that process, when you're born again, you're delivered from your greatest fear, and there's the fear of death. Now, the Bible describes two kinds of dead people. Either you're dead to Christ or you're dead to sin. Either we are dead to sin and walk in the spirit of the newness of eternal life, or we're dead to Christ and we walk in obedience to the lusts of our flesh and are destined for an eternal death, which is the second death, as we read in Revelation 21. And it's not a momentary death like physical death. Physical death is the minute you're gone. But the second death, you're dead eternally because you're separated eternally. And there is torment eternally. And the worst of it all is there is no way out. This is serious business for young and old. You may say, I'm young, I'm not there yet. Oh, yes, it is. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You know how many young people die of drug overdoses? You know how young people, how many young people die in car accidents? You know how many people die with cardiac arrest? You don't know what your physical, true physical condition is. I, I'm not trying to scare you and make you afraid. I'm trying to sober you up to make sure that, that you're ready. Make sure that you've got 
the best that God has to offer you that you're free from fear. The only way to be free from fear is to be alive to Christ. He is life and everything that we have. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, the Bible already established that all of us are, are, are really, uh, in a sense, dead men walking. We're, we're sinners by nature. And since all have sinned, we're all under the death sentence. And we are destined to die in the devil's hell. Praise God, but he came to deliver us from all that. And so now, if you're born again, you're living unto Christ. This is what he says in Romans 6.6. 6. Listen to Paul's words in the Bible, Romans 6.6. 6. Knowing this, that our old man. He's talking about when we have repented of our sins. We have asked God to forgive us. And really, repentance is not only a turning around and turning away from an old way of life. It's not just a new direction, but it is also... Uh, a, a death. You're dying to yourself. Repentance is where you die out to your old self and you judge yourself, hallelujah, a sinner indeed, and you confess that you are a sinner and you are destined to die. But now in repentance, you change direction. You change masters. See, every gotta, everyone's got to serve somebody. You either serve God or you serve the devil. There's no middle ground. You're a servant to somebody. You're a servant to one of those two. And if you're not serving God, well, you're serving somebody else. You think it's yourself. No, that, that, that spiritual power is influencing your mind, influencing you spiritually, and, uh, and is leading you to do things. In fact, it's just nothing more than pursuit of your pleasure of your flesh. So whatever feels good. You're living to make yourself feel good for the day. Whatever your flesh desires, it's food, it's alcohol, it's a drug, it's some kind of dope, it's some kind of temporary feel good for that day. That's all you're living for. That's all you know. God wants to take that away. He wants to give you something that will satisfy and fulfill you, not just for one day, but for an eternity. And along with what he gives you, it takes you into eternity. It gives you eternal life. And you won't be thirsty for those other things that hold you down. So Paul says this, knowing this, that our old man, that with the old desires, with the old affections, is crucified with him, that is Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed. This outward, physical body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now, he's using, you know, a, 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 an illustration from the physical life and puts it in a spiritual life because when somebody dies, you don't get hungry. When you die physically, you don't have any more sexual desires. When you die physically, you don't crave a drink anymore. You don't crave any more rocks. You don't crave any more marijuana. You don't crave any more cocaine. You don't crave anything else. When you're dead, you're dead. And the same way that when you repent of your sins, you're dying out. You're crucifying yourself. Amen. Spiritually speaking. Amen. Hallelujah. You're, you're crucifying your, your flesh and your its desires with it. And if you repent of your sins, you're actually dying. Hallelujah. And so Paul said, that's what happened to me. I turned my life around. When I started serving Christ. I'm free from sin. I'm free from sin because Christ made me free from it. In Galatians 2.20, he says this word crucified again. In fact, in verse 20 of chapter 2, 
He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, it's all about relationship. It's all about love. It's about living for Christ. It's not purely sacrifice. Said, here I am. Oh, God, I, 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 I don't like what I feel as far as giving up all the things that I crave. And, you know, you know. No, 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 no. It's, it's based on love. God loves you and he wants to free you from those things that keep you a slave to the devil and keep you a slave to fear because of death. But you can only do God's way to be delivered from that. And that's repentance and the new birth. Now when he says being crucified with Christ, uh, he's talking about sharing death, uh, the death of the cross. It's self-denial. It speaks of dying to ourselves, our flesh, our loves, our, our, our will, and our lusts. And it's dying to the world and its values. It speaks of repentance, as much I already had said. And so before you can be born again, the old man has to die and be buried, which is baptism. Mark 8.35, this is what Jesus said about this dying process, about crucifying yourself. But whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. In other words, saving your life simply means if you're going to live to yourself. If you're going to live for your pleasures, you're just going to live you know, for making yourself feel good and doing whatever you want to do and know what God wants you to do. You can do it. That's your privilege. It's your right. Do it. But there's a consequence. You got to pay the piper one day. And that piper is none other than God himself. And you're going to stand before him and you're going to have to give an answer. Why didn't you take me up on my offer? Well, but, but, but I loved what I was doing too much. See, so yeah, that's, well, that was the problem. You didn't love me. You loved those things. You loved those men. You loved those women more than you loved me. You loved your lifestyle more than me. Amen. No, whosoever will save his life, when you die, you'll lose it in the second death. But whosoever shall lose his life. In other words, when you begin to serve God instead and begin to live for him and by his priorities and begin to accomplish his purpose, you will save it in eternal life. You know, there's an interesting segment in, in the book Josh McDowell called More Than a Carpenter. He wrote that book in the 1970s. It's re-released recently. I highly recommend it. I know the person. I met him several times uh, and, and had, uh, he, he's a good man. He doesn't have the revelation of oneness of God but he does have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Indeed, God manifest in the flesh. And he wrote this book called More Than a Carpenter, meaning that you know, people in, in Jesus' days call him, well, isn't this just a carpenter's son? And, and, and his, his brethren and sisters are among us. He's just a carpenter's kid. He's, he's a nobody. He's not a priest. He's, you know, he's not a legal expert. He's not a, a biblical scholar. And because of that, he can do many, many miracles in Nazareth where he grew up. But many people today discount Jesus as well 
uh, saying uh, he, he was just a, a good man, a good prophet, or some even say, ah, he didn't even exist. He's just somebody's figment of their imag- imagination. But Josh McDowell, uh, as a serious college student in the college days in the early 70s, uh, came across some, some young men who were Christians in, in, on campus, and he was aggravated about their, their joy, aggravated by their gospel, and uh, he had all kinds of skepticism and unbelief, and, and he set out to prove them wrong. And, his, and so he sat down, he spent uh, 12, he said he took 12 uh, legal pads, and he began to do research. And when he got done with his research, I'm talking about analysis of, of biblical validity, uh, about consistency, about revelation, about truthfulness, about who wrote it. Uh, is there any historical record of Jesus' resurrection uh, outside of the Bible? And when he found out all these things, they were so true. He, he walked away with an absolute conviction that everything that Jesus claimed to be, he was. And more than a carpenter, he was indeed God manifest on the flesh, who indeed died and was risen from the dead. Now understand, the resurrection is what sets Christianity apart from all the religions. But even more than that, what sets us apart is not just the gospel message of resurrection, but the event of the resurrection. You understand the difference? We're not just telling a story that Jesus rose again. We're talking about a historical event that's recorded by others besides the Bible. People from Jesus' day, even Josephus making mention of it, one of the great early uh, Jewish Roman historians. There's others that make mention of it. It is validated by over 500 eyewitnesses that saw him as sin. Now, Josh McDowell saw all that, but he goes on to confess this, and this is why I brought all this up. But he said, even after all the evidence that he saw, he didn't immediately come to conversion and confess Christ. And reason was twofold, which was really illuminating to me, really interesting to me, and is still valid today to everybody. He's the reason I didn't accept it right away is because, number one, I didn't want to give up all my pleasures. And two, was my pride. And interestingly enough, he put his finger on the two number greatest things that keep people from serving God to this day as well. You can give them all the evidence about Jesus Christ and the Bible and why it is true. You can give them all the good news and share with them the gospel. And yet they're still going to have to the, come to the place of the cross. Are you going to crucify your pleasures? Are you going to crucify your pride? Are you going to humble yourself? And God has a way of humbling ourselves. And the story of the prodigal, we heard it not too long ago, amen, is essentially the same. The father who let his son walk away with his inheritance and he spent it on a righteous living. He spent it on prostitutes and, and, the, pro, and the party life and, and until his money was all gone. Then all his friends were gone. And, and he ended up in humiliation. He ended up in hunger. He ended up in a depraved condition. Yes, the Father will allow you to get to the place of humiliation and hunger and need and deprivation so you can come to yourself and say, you know, there's got to be something better than this. And yes, the God Almighty will allow you to sink so low and as low as you want want to get but that's not his will for you 
His will is that you come to your senses and say, there's got to be something better. And the good news is there is. It's coming to the Father's house. It's repenting of your sins, being baptized in Jesus' name, being filled with the Holy Ghost to, to give you eternal life. Hallelujah. After you repent, you die. And when you die, we bury dead people. That's why we baptize someone when they repent of their sins. And when you repent, you die to yourself, you die to the world, and then you get buried. And then he'll fill you with the Holy Ghost. You will speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. I'm coming to a close here. Sister Becky, you can come. I want to read to you from the New Living Translation the entire chapter of Romans chapter 6, 23 verses. Just listen carefully, okay? New Living Translation. Because in this chapter, Paul deals with our baptism and how that we are buried with Christ. and We're identifying with his burial and his resurrection. But listen to the context uh, of this, of this, of these verses, uh, in which I have just spoken of dead men walking. Okay, so this is what it says in in Romans chapter six, verse one, about sin's power being broken. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Now, this continues in the pre- last verse of the previous chapter. It says that uh, that grace, where sin abounds, grace does so much more about. So he asked this rhetorical question, well then, should we keep on sinning so that we can experience greater grace of God? And he says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, see that? How can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we joined with uh, him, that when we joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died And we're buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power power of the Father, now we also may live in new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. That's what, that's what baptism is so important. So that we may, so it may lose its power in our lives, sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. And he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, 
Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer uh, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey the teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which had ever, which led ever deeper into sin. Now, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now, you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now, you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm. Shall we stand? See, when you get to the end of your life, as a born-again believer, if you go by the way of the grave, if the rapture doesn't happen yet, then you will leave this world by death. And just understand that you will not be dying from death unto death. You will be dying from death unto life. In fact, from life unto life. If you have repented of your sin, then you have died out to sin. You're not dying from death unto death, from life unto death. You're dying from life to life. You're entering eternal life when your body is dead. Romans 8, 13, Paul exhorts us finally, if, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. See, we can overcome sin. And it starts by the repentance, water baptism, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. Then it's becoming a slave to righteous living. Righteous living. What he describes is not what you think is righteous living. It's what he says is righteous living. Well, I want to live my own life. Yes, I understand that. And that's exactly the way Adam and Eve felt. And look where it got us. 
You can live your own way. Amen. But if you live for yourself, it's death. But if you give up your life to serve Him, it's eternal life. Simple. It's not rocket science. Praise God. Would you close your eyes and bow your head with me right now? You may have never experienced a new birth. But this is your day. You have a great opportunity because you don't know what tomorrow brings. This is the day of salvation. This is the best day you'll ever have to come to God and He will receive you. The Bible says that if anyone comes to Him in no ways, will He cast them away or reject them. If you come with a believing heart, if you come with a yieldedness of humility, even as the prodigal came, God allowed that young man to be humiliated, but it's that humiliation that brought him to that humility that he needed to come back to his father. And that's the kind of humility we need to come to our Heavenly Father. Putting and setting our pride aside and coming to Him and saying, Father, I have sinned against You and against Heaven. I'm no longer worthy even to be called Your Son, but just make me one of Your servants in Your household. I know how great Your house is. I know how much You love me. I want to serve you and be in a good relationship with you, a loving relationship. And you know what? Just like the prodigal's father received him, we took him back and put shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger, which is signatus of authority, a robe of righteousness, and restored him to the family position as a son that was once dead but now is alive. You can have that today. You can come to Jesus and he will make you one of his sons. A great promise, a great future because he loves you. And to the rest of us who've been serving God for a while, maybe you've gotten cold or even lukewarm on the inside. Maybe you're a dead man walking. You look good on the outside. You look sharp. You look happy. You look like everything is in place and everything the way it should be. And yet on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's someone that fits that, that, that situation, that condition. It's in your hands to do as you will. To reconnect with God and make Him your priority, to make Him your number one. Because you've been sidetracked, you've been distracted, you have walked too, too long and too far in your own path and your own will. You just kind of put God on the shelf and just said, you just come to church and you, you go through the motions and you think everything is all right. And really, you're not connected with Him a long time in the way that you should. You're just a dead man walking. That's not the will of God. It's the will of God for you to be refreshed, 
to be renewed, bring them back into the fullness of fellowship and relating with Him. And this call is for you as well. And I make this appeal to you now as we sing this song, as you come to this altar and spend some time in prayer. Put your pride aside. Exercise some humility. Take some time and pray. Would you come? Would you come? I call you right now. Amen.